Hi, I'm Hannah, team manager with the Orange Arrow Players Association, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field. Please consider making a play by giving, hosting a friend raiser, subscribing to our podcast and YouTube channel, and staying connected on social media at Orange Arrow PA. Visit orangearrow.org for more information. Thank you for listening. Take aim. Welcome to Inside the Play Call with Orange Arrow. And today we have a very, very special guest. Some call him Morgan. Some call him Morgan O'Brien. But if you write his name, do not forget the apostrophe. Morgan, <laughs> how are you? I'm, I'm doing incredibly well. Thanks. Thanks, Sean. Good to see you. Thank you for joining the pod. I said, don't forget the apostrophe. Now, do people forget the apostrophe after they owe often? Well, that and the, if you go into a pharmacy or any anybody that's got a computer, it's it's never the way you want it to be. So it's 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 caused me incredible burdens my whole life. So <laughs> and so Morgan, you understand the importance of an athlete warming up and stretching. And so yeah. with that in mind, I have a few warm-up questions for you. You ready? Uh, I'm uh, I'm on the edge of my seat here. <laughs> here we go. If you're going to listen to one musical artist for 30 days straight, only one, who are you selecting? Well, um, you know, uh, that's a hard one only because I, I, I'd rather just listen to multiple musicians, but uh, only because going back to my college days, I, I would have to just off the cuff say uh, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, when, I, when I was in college, uh, it, it was a big deal. And, you know, it was... Uh, Everyone wanted to be as, as as cool as the boss, so that was uh, that was the guy. Boy in the USA, <laughs> that's a great selection. Great selection. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this a little later about your love for golf. Sure. One more question: If you could golf with anybody, what is your dream foursome? You plus three anywhere in the world. Yeah. So um, I that's actually an easy one because. Uh, the reason I got into golf was uh, to golf with, I have three sons and um, there's not a better day for me than when I'm on the golf course with the three of them. So I, my dream foursome is uh, the, the guys I, I'll call my, my regular foursome, um, the three sons that I have and, and spending, you know, a, a long day with them chasing a golf ball is, is, is still a good day. Now, can either one of your sons beat you yet? All, all three of them beat me. They, I was, I was working while they were getting golf lessons. Um, I take my baseball swing out and they, they easily <laughs> beat me. So, which is, which is a good thing for them. So last one, favorite TV show of all time. Okay. Now that's an easy one. Um, Seinfeld. I'm, I'm a huge Seinfeld guy and it's so stupid because um, things happen in life all the time. And the first thing that comes to my mind is that was on a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, cool. Yeah. I, I enjoy Seinfeld. Did you get a chance to check out his series on Netflix? What is it called? Comedians and Coffee or Coffees yeah, and Cars? Yeah, Comedians yeah. and Cars, something along the lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and my kids got me into Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is Larry David, the, the writer, sort of. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it has a lot of the Seinfeld, I'll call it the com- comedian uh, type jokes in there so that's true so i actually got onto Kirby your enthusiasm a little late and actually introduced my wife to it as well that is hilarious you're talking about comedy <laughs> and i think their new season should be coming out soon that that is a that's a funny show yeah and, it, and it's like stupid stuff that happens to all of us so yeah. right exactly exactly yeah. so morgan take us back hometown where are you from yep. your early introduction to sports take it away so, um, I mean, it's, it, I have a pretty boring story because uh, my, my background is Pittsburgh. Um, I, was, I was born and raised here. And, you know, and like a lot of other cities, I think uh, Pittsburgh is uh, sometimes, it's one of those towns where, that captures people. And uh, fortunate for me, um, I knew a lot of people who left looking for other opportunities. I, I found, you know, good career opportunities here. Um, and, you know, for me, the, I'll call it, uh, being the native son and, and being from here, um, it actually uh, supported my career working in the utility space and, you know, being engaged in the community and in a community I grew up in and, you know, remembering some of the good and some of the bad, but also 
you know, I'll call it the roots of, of what Pittsburgh is. But um, yeah, so I'm, you know, a hometown guy, born, raised. My roots are deep here. Um, so, 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 so what, what part of Pittsburgh in particular? So I, I, grew, I grew up in, um, it's, it's, part, it's actually the city proper over in uh, part of the city called Carrick, sort of the South Hills. Um, yes. And my parents moved from Carrick out to Baldwin, which is like the next borough out. Um, and there's the story in Pittsburgh, because we have three rivers and a bunch of bridges and tunnels, um, you never cross a river. Like you, once you are born on that side of the city, you stay there. You stay there, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you, you can't you can't cross a, a bridge to get to another part of the, the area because your your friends would never come come see you because um, it's such a long ride. But uh, the, the the ironic part there was um, when I you know moved on in my career, um, we ended up buying a condo in downtown, and it perplexed everybody who was from Pittsburgh because the story is you never you know cross a river, you stay right. on the side of town downtowns is like its own little island so, so <laughs> I, I couldn't get anyone to come visit me because i was living downtown so <laughs> it's a quick drive quick drive so you, you mentioned your base about your baseball swing when you're golfing so did you play baseball growing up yeah i mean you know baseball was like a love i was i was uh you know i'm a bigger guy so we played football played basketball um sort of this you know when i was growing up it was like whatever season it was that's that's what you did um, you know, wanted to grow up and, and be as athletic as uh, Sean Robinson, but never, never had those, that gift. Um, but, you know, I've always been, sports has always been a big part of my life. And, um, you know, with my kids and being active and helping coach some of their teams. And, you know, to me, it just, it, it, and you know this better than anybody, it, it builds such a, I'll call it a, that, that team spirit, you know, people working together, um, putting other people in front of yourself, all those all the things you learn as a teammate, um, I think really are important um, and not knowing it at the time, but, you know, when you got into business and started applying the things that you learned on the Sandlot, um, you know, with no adult supervision, you know, um, that's, those are some of the most important lessons we learn in life. So growing up, some of your favorite athletes, give me one or two, who did you look up to? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I grew up in Pittsburgh. So Roberto Clemente was, yeah. you know, amazing, right? He was just so gifted um, and just his true athleticism. And then as I got older, understanding who he was and how much he cared about where he came from and, you know, obviously his tragedy that uh, took his life away so short, um, you know, he was, he was uh, absolutely, um, you know, somebody who I, you know, Gruda really um, just held in a high honor and, you know, and like a lot of people, uh, you know, Michael Jordan, right. I mean, I think um, having watched his uh, special, I think I even, you know, the, the, I've watched him as an athlete, um, but as you got to know him as a, as a person, you, you hold him in even higher regards and, and remember, you know, sometimes when you remember legends, it's, it's always greater than what it was, but looking back, um, he's, he's just an incredible story of, a, of, a, of an a amazing athlete. That was an incredible documentary. I mean, it was must see TV, especially during the, the uh, quarantine and pandemic. Like yeah. it was like, <laughs> what else are you going to do? So they actually dropped it at a great time. Yeah. I, yeah, actually I hated, to see, hated to see it end. And it gave you insights into him that, you know, I, I don't think any of us really understood. No, that's true. That's true. And so I shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again because I think this yeah. is the first time you, you're hearing it. Okay. So you remember when Jordan made that shot against the Cleveland Cavs, against okay. uh, Craig Elo, the playoffs yeah. where he was like floating in the air for like three seconds. Yeah. So I was at that game. Oh, my gosh. My mom took me to the game. So originally being from Ohio, Warren, Ohio, driving yeah. 45 minutes to Cleveland. Okay. So we're at the game. Right before that game, there was a – I mean, excuse me, right before that shot, there was a timeout call. And my mom said she wanted to beat the traffic. It was just the two of us. So she said, like, let's leave. Oh so during that timeout, we left. And it wasn't until we heard Bull fans, Bull fans running into the uh, parking lot, because I was a huge George fan growing up, talking about the Bulls won, the Bulls won. Then I, we realized, like, wait, what did we miss? So my aunt was living in Cleveland at the time, went over to her house, and actually saw the, the – re airing of it on tv but i was actually in there but i missed the shot 
Yeah. Yeah. And what's, what's funny, and it just brings back all these memories. Uh, so Pittsburgh doesn't have a basketball team. And my sons and I were all basketball fans. So we used to go up, particularly on a Friday night, and drive up to Cleveland and watch the Cavs because, you, you know, you get to see uh, the NBA. And uh, my sons, when they were younger, they would joke and say, it's such an easy, easy ride. And I would explain to them that they slept the whole ride home while I was driving by myself. <laughs> right. So I'd wake up Saturday morning, but it was, it was, a, it was a way for us to, to, to follow the NBA, but uh, that's, yeah. And there's incredible athletes there. So. And so that's a, yeah, it's a two hour drive Pittsburgh to yeah. Cleveland. Now who was playing for the Cavs when you were taking it? Was that like the LeBron era or when? Well, we, we went up earlier, but I'd say um, in their in the heyday with my kids, it was LeBron. Um, and my youngest son, I mean, he's a Pittsburgh kid, was so upset when he left Cleveland. I'm like, <laughs> I'm sitting there watching this like this, you know, Cleveland's our arch rival in every sport except for basketball. Um, but it, it's just funny. Um, he was He was so upset with LeBron. Um, and then obviously he came back and it was, uh, an amazing made from talk about made for, for TV or made for movies, uh, LeBron James, he's going to be the next movie like MJ. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And so, so being from Warren, LeBron, the really, you know, originally from Akron 30 minute drive. Right. And I remember some of my teammates at Pitt that they were from Akron. They kept talking about this kid from their hometown. Yeah. He this, he that. He could be the next Michael Jordan, all his other stuff. It, and everybody thinks that about it, like their, their local <laughs> star, right? Yeah, right, and, right. And, and so actually my grand and I, we went to one of his games uh, when he was in high school. They couldn't even hold it in the high school gym. It was held at a Youngstown State. I was like, who is that grown man out there with a little, <laughs> those little kids? And, yeah. uh, but now you know, he's one of the greatest of all time. Everybody knows who he is. But that's one of those times where the hometown hero actually turned out to be one of the greatest ever. It doesn't happen too often. Yeah. And his story, it's, it's obviously not, not done yet, but it's such an amazing story, too. Yeah. You're still playing at a high level with this year 17. Like, it's remarkable. Yeah. Went from high school to becoming a, an international celebrity, right? I mean, yeah. And so after high school, you went straight to Robert Morris? Yeah. So, you know, I was, uh, you know, for me, I, I grew up a blue collar kid. So my, my dad was an immigrant, came here from Ireland. Um, you know, his dream was that each of his kids would go to college. And, um, you know, for me going to college, I, I joke with my kids. Um, I said, it wasn't about trying to find myself. It was about getting a job. Um, and that was the only goal. And so I went to Robert Morris was an accounting major because there were a lot of accounting jobs um, and, you know, went to work uh, after I graduated from Robert Morris here, here in Pittsburgh, was able to find a job. And it was funny um, because when I went to, to school, you know, I was always working. It was, a, a, you know, lower middle-class family at best. Um, we, we had to, you know, carry our own weight. So I was going to college and, and working. And, um, you know, when I started working professionally, and seeing, you know, like everybody doesn't come from the same beginning point in life um, that, you know, I, I decided early on that one of my called strengths was that I, I'd work hard. And so I, I had this in the back of my head. If you asked me to describe, you know, one of your secrets to success, at least early on from my own perspective, I felt like I, I, I said, like, I could not work any of these kids because I was going to school, studying, had a couple jobs going and, you know, I, was, I took pride in that I, I worked hard. Um, and that's the way my parents raised me. So um, when I started off in professional accounting um, and it was funny because it did, I saw, I started seeing it would differentiate me from other people. Um, people wanted me to work on their accounts, people, because, you know, your, your work, care, you know, it's the teammate thing and you got a guy who's willing right. to do the dirty work and get in there. And, you know, everybody says, yeah, I, I want that guy on my team, but um you know, my, I'll call it my early roots, I think, uh, led, led it, especially early on in my career, um, being successful of just saying, I'm, I've got to keep my head down and I'm going to outwork everybody around me. Um, and that's how I'm going to be successful. So we say our work, like paint a picture. What does that look like? Coming early, staying late? Yeah, coming early, yeah. staying late, um, you know, and, and willing to take on, you know, if somebody says, oh, we got this 
assignment and, you know, I'll be like, I'll take it. Um, you know, we got this, uh, you know, you, it takes, you got to drive up to this client. It's in a, the backwoods. And, you know, I'd be like, I, I'd volunteer for anything. Um, and, you know, and come back to the office and do more work. And, you know, it was, um, <laughs> I laugh at myself. Um, I was probably making minimum wage when you took all the hours that I worked. But at the time I thought I was doing well, right? I had right. this salary coming out of college. Um, but, you know, I think that I keep going back to it, that, that being raised by a family that you had to work and you, as soon as you could, you did. And you worked a couple of jobs to, to keep your, your fair share uh, pitching in helping a family. So, and it's funny because then when my kids came around, right, I was already successful and, you know, it, it's uh, it's definitely definitely a different era from where they grew up from where I grew up, right? Uh, and yeah, you that's know, I guess that's one of the blessings in life. Yeah. So how how did you balance that? Because you're coming up from such humble beginnings, and then and then your your children, you know, they had that same experience, but you want to instill those same type of value in the work ethic. How did you balance that? Because you hear that actually from another a number of like professional athletes because yeah. they grew up a certain way, but then their children's their children they don't grow up the same way. So how did you balance that? Speak well, to that. So a couple couple things. Um, one, and it's sort of you know one was um, the lessons I learned from my dad. I I tried to share with my kids. So it was funny. Um, you know I, I became um, CEO at Duquesne Light, which is the electric company here in town. And we lived in a neighborhood that was um, not, you know, an exclusive neighborhood. And, and people, first people would say to me, why do you live there? And I would say, I want my kids to grow up with some people richer than them, some people poorer than them, and, and, and diversity, and to see as yeah. much diversity as, as they could. Um, you know, and so that was, I'd sit there and say, there's nothing against certain neighborhoods, but people would say, you're successful, you ought to move to this neighborhood. Um, and I'd say, no, I'm, I'm going to stay where, where, I, where I grew up and have my kids go to the same high school I went to and experience the things that I did. Um, and then the other thing, you know, which was important to me was that, um, you know, I, I didn't want to ever lose who I was because I always thought your kids, whether you, you understand it or not, are looking at you, not just the words you're saying, but how you, how you do things. Right, so, right. Things I did, Sean, was... Um, you know, I cut my own grass. So I, I live in a sort of a you know, middle-class neighborhood, CEO of a company, running a big company. And I would cut my grass every week, shovel the snow. I'd be out there in the morning. And one day uh, a neighbor actually wrote me a letter saying, I see how much money you make. It's in a proxy statement. Why are you cutting your grass? Why are you shoveling your snow? <laughs> and, and I never wrote her back, but I would yeah. in my mind it was, because I wanted to show my kids, like you, you sort of never lose uh, touch with, uh, I'll call it, who you are. Um, That's good. You know, and, and life goes on quickly and you, you, you are who you are. And, um, you know, so I, I think um, trying to keep them, you know, I'll call it in a community where, where I grew up, uh, trying to be the person that you want them to be. Um, and, and, you know, and respecting people and respecting work. Um, I, it was funny cause I would, I got to work with my dad one, one summer. And so he was, he drove a truck. He was a labor guy. Okay. And, and I would go in and I'd hear all these people complaining about the boss complaining about it. And so I asked him about it. I said, you know, this is a miserable place. Like these guys come into work. And he said to me, well, as, as long as people are complaining, that means they care about what they're doing. He said, he said, if, if they stop complaining, that's when they stop caring. And so years later, Sean, I became sure. CEO at Duquesne Light. And right. I'm out in the field and, and I, 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 I shared that story. I said, you know, I want to hear your complaints. Um, and, you know, and I said, and if you guys stop complaining, I'm going to get real worried. Um, I'm okay hearing your complaints because it means, yeah. all it means to me is you care. Um, and and I'm, I want to I wanna listen to them and hear them out. Um, and, you know, it's funny, it's like the, I, I got my degree from Robert Morris, I got a master's degree, I went and got my CPA, um, certified public accountant, Right. but like when I look at how I ran the company and the lessons I learned, 
um, it was growing up, um, the support I had as, a, as, a, as from my parents, the lessons I learned from them, um, you know, being in athletics, playing on teams. Um, those are probably the, the lessons I think made me the leader that I was as opposed to, you know, the classrooms and the education that I had, which, which are still very, very important because I would never got into the jobs I had without that as a background. So, so you mentioned being a CEO at Duquesne Light, which became yeah. CEO People's Gas. Yeah. You talk about accounting. Quickly fill in the gap, though, from transition out of accounting to the CEO, because like, like paint that picture, because how do you become the CEO yeah. of, a, of a large corporation like that? Yeah, and so it was, it's funny, because, um, you know, people people come into jobs, and, and I've seen it all my life. It's, um, you know, some people say, okay, um, I get this job, I'm entitled to this these, the salary and these benefits and, you know, and then I'll get promoted and I get more salary, more benefits. And, you know, I think my mindset when I came into my job was I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be the most valuable guy on this team. And people are going to notice that because I'm going to be making a difference. So when I, I came to Duquesne Light, um, for instance, you know, and there's like, all kind of different things you can get involved with, but I, I had my vision, I was going to do something big. And so um, as an accountant, right, how big can it be? Um, so I, I started getting into looking at some of the tax issues they had. And just real quick, I identified that they were paying a lot of property taxes on a nuclear power plant they owned in Ohio. And so I, I went to the, my boss and said, you know, can I spend some time studying this? I think we're overpaying in taxes and there could be some benefits to us. And he said, you know, yeah, go ahead. That's, the, you know, that's, that's a good thing. And so I did yeah. my job, right? But I, I really, I'll say, dug into that issue and it ended up the case went to the Ohio Supreme Court. Um, wow. and got millions of dollars of years of refunds um, for, for, for taxes, right? And so it was, and it was just like every, time I would go and turn a rock, somebody would say, you know, don't go there. You know, just do your job. This is why you get paid for. And no one's going to pay you more for, for doing all this extra work. And I was like, well, you know, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be the most valuable guy here by, by doing big things. Right. And so that, that was the mindset. And then when um, Duquesne Light was faced with, um, they were, the state of Pennsylvania decided they were going to restructure how electric utilities work. So it was pretty complicated. Um, one of the folks said, let's, let's put Morgan on it because he, you know, he works hard. He's, he thinks big, he'll be very aggressive. And so I, I got put on this team um, because of, you know, the, the higher property tax was a big deal to the company. So everyone's like, who, who, who did that? Who worked on it? Right. So brought, brought some that around. So it's, I was getting promoted up. And then, um, you know, when on the restructuring, which was a really big deal, um, you know, again, um, we were looking at selling off our power plants and we owned a bunch of interest in, I'll call it a lot of power plants. And so I had this idea that if we could swap with the, our, our joint owners, the plants that we own so that we could only own 100% of less plants, but giving up all the pieces that we own a lot of plants that that asset if you went to sell it would be more valuable than all the pieces and so uh, you know and, and it was complicated and so it took yeah, a lot yeah. of work a lot of approvals to get it done how to work with banks and at the end of the day it it was highly successful and we sold sold the plants for a lot of money and it created a big rate decrease for the people in pittsburgh so it was a good thing the company made the money back from all the investments and so it was a lot of we'll call it exposure to the board. Um, and then, you know, so as, as the more exposure you have, people start saying, you know, this is a guy that's thinking differently, you know, working hard, coming up with good right. ideas. Um, you know, and I'd say like one of the, the, the secrets of, of how you get through some of those things, and it goes back to my early days, is just paying respect to everybody who has a job to do. So I would, I would talk to engineers and say, explain to me why we did this and how we paid for these things and tried to 
create, I'll call it my own network of how do I get information within a big company and people I could go to. And, and they knew I would never throw them under the bus or all the right. things that happen in, in organizations. Um, and then, you know, when you start getting to be successful, people say, Hey, I want to, I want to help you. I want to be part of the team that gets recognized. And right. um, I, I was, I was on a call this morning. I'm on a board of a company and the guy, one other board member says, all these guys do is talk about compensation and they're not successful. And I said, you know, we need to reverse this conversation and teach them they need to be successful. And then we'll talk about compensation. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, right. it's the, you know, what, what we do. Um, but anyway, um, so I, I think, um, you know, for me, it was, it was funny, Sean, because I, I would, people would say to me, like, why are you sticking your neck out on these issues? And, and I would say to everybody, well, the, I, I did this risk analysis and figured out the worst thing that happens to me is they fire me. You know, that's the worst thing, right? I still have my family, still am who I am. And I think I can find another job tomorrow. And yeah. so it was like, and that and every job I had, I would say that. So I was always aggressive, trying different things. And then the one day I became CEO, I was driving home and I literally said it to myself, okay, if they fire me now, I may not be able to replace this job. And then, <laughs> except, except I proved myself wrong because I then became CEO at People's Gas, another company here in town. So, uh, but anyway, it was, it was literally like for a moment, I sat there and said, oh my gosh, am I going to be as aggressive in the lead seat? Because there was always somebody else in that lead seat, right? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> but, um, it, it, the good news was for me, it didn't change. Um, but, you, you know, it was just that philosophy of working hard, thinking big and taking risks. You know, what I would call measured risk, but, but willing to do something extra um, for, for, the, for, the, for the good of the company without sitting there saying, okay, I'm going to get a big bonus if I do it. I'm going to get a promotion if I do it. It was, I kept saying, I'm, I want to be the most valuable guy on the team, you know, and I'm going to, I'm just going to keep working hard and, and, and think big. And, you know, worst case is they, I get, they fire me and I end up back in the neighborhood where I started and I was still, I was happy back then. So MVP. And then also teamwork makes the dream work. Yeah. And, no, it's and true. I, I want you to speak to this because you, you spoke about a little bit of network within the company speak to, the power of relationships. So that's something we share with our young student athletes and also like the college student athletes speak to the power of relationships. Well, you know, and, and it's funny, Sean. So when you aren't at the lead position, right, say in an organization like CEO, you watch the CEO and you say, okay, why did this guy make a bad decision? Or why are we doing something that's not successful? Those are the questions I would always ask myself. And, and one of the answers as I moved up and I'll call it the, the organization itself was that people would tell the person what they wanted to hear and not the truth. Um, because it, they felt like if, if I tell you something bad about my area, it'll reflect on me. So rather than being truthful, I'm going to say, we're, everything's good. We got everything. Don't worry about it. I, I've got everything under control. And, you know, and, and I'd be sitting there saying, that's not true. Like there's issues there. Um, and so when I, I became CEO, I literally, I said, my biggest fear is everyone's going to tell me what I want to hear and not the truth. But I knew if I went down in the organization and literally um, talked to people beneath those who reported to me and always reconcile, you know, what's happening, what's going on, tell me, is this really working? What issues there were? And so I, I spent a lot of time. I'll call it in, not with surrounded by my direct reports, but going down in, into the organization. And, and the one thing I also learned is that, you know, I, I honestly believe that if I said, listen, you know, we're going to be a good company, we're going to treat our customers well, we're going to do all these things, this is who we're going to be. And if I said that, people would act upon it because they reported to me, right? I, I was in charge. Um, and then I'd find out later, right? That's, that's not the way it was. People would do things the way they saw it or the way they were, were brought up or the way they thought it was right. And so I worked really, really hard. And, it, and, my, and my story was I always wanted to make people 
the best version of themselves. And I, I had this in my head. I have, you know, say it's 1,700 employees. And if all 1,700 were the best version of themselves, right, that would be a powerful business. Right. And, and, and so I would get people inspired and I would say, you know, we're not in a business. We'll make money if we're successful at what we do. But the definition of success isn't how much money we make. And, and, and literally, my belief was rather than us staring at how much profit we're making every year, because that's shareholders and all the people that own the company and they evaluate the CEO based on profitability. But if we, if we did things and did them well, that that would equate to the most money we could make, right? So I, I would get people excited about, you know, we're, our job is to make this region the best it can be. We want to help people get jobs. We want to help business come here. We want to support people who can't afford the, the products that we sell. Um, we want to so help those in need. Um, we want to bring the whole community along with us. And, and so it's like, we're going to be something bigger than who we are as an organization. And as individuals, we'll be part of something that's bigger than us. And so yeah. we're, we're going to have this noble mission on helping everyone we serve, whether it's U.S. Steel, PPG, or a poor family in Wilkinsburg, or you know a small business starting out at CMU. Every one of those, we're going to help each of them be successful. And whatever we do, whether it's getting them energy, making sure they have their payments, keeping warm in the winter, whatever, from the most complex to the simple customer, and, and that's our job. And if we do that really well, at the end of the day, we'll make the most money we can make, right? And we'll be successful. And so literally every year I'd set goals around, depending on where you are in the company, on how, how much benefit you were helping the customers that we had, the people that we served. And, you know, we, we, we would always say our, our, our mission, why we existed was to make people's lives better. And so if, if that's, that's why we came to work, and, you know, um, and, you know, and I, I, I would see things. So take it back to what does that mean for utility shock? A guy who you have a gas leak and you call him and a guy from people's gas goes to your house and he checks to see if you have a gas leak. And if your furnace is leaking, he shuts it off and he says, call a plumber, fix that leak. Cause you know, we don't want your house to explode. You fix the leak. We'll come back on, turn the gas on. In reality, they come out in the middle of the night and it's cold and he shuts that gas off. You don't have heat. Right. It could be a, it could be a family that can't afford a plumber. So the, the one guy in the field says to me, Morgan, I'm a plumber. I can fix that. And I said, so why don't you fix it? And he said, because we were told that's the customer's, furnace, not ours, and we'd get sued if we did something wrong. And I said, forget about getting sued. Like, let's, let's do something. So fast forward, I'm, one of my last weeks at People's, um, a guy's giving a class to his, a new bunch of employees, and he's talking about how we are, one of our missions is helping people. And he said, the best day in 30 years at the company was he went to a, a young family's home gas leak goes in, long story short, he fixes their furnace. And it took him two hours to fix it because it was it was a complicated process. Okay. Gets home late, it's up in the morning. His wife says, he's getting ready to go back out to work. Says, how was your night? He said, I had the best day I've ever had. She said, like, how could it be the best day? You were out till 11 o'clock. He said, I helped a family. Like, and he knew that years gone by, he would have just shut the, the furnace off, they'd have been cold, they would have struggled how to stay warm in the night. But he felt good about like what he did. And so I said to him, like, if you think about our business, right, we, we sell gas. So having that customer have gas all, all night, it's not meaningful to us, but it's still important. That's right. how you make right. more business. And now that customer knows you care about them and you have this relationship. And he's, he's telling all these young people, and, and the one guy from the union stands up and says, his story you can hear throughout the company. People talk about who we are and we take pride, we care about people. And like, that's why, that's why we come to work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I sat there and said, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a, it took 10 years for us as a company to get there. 
um, to get people. And then for me, it was simple. I'm only going to be successful is, is if I can help everybody be the best version of themselves, whatever that means. Um, and for a lot of people, they feel their best when they're helping others. And so if your business is selling services to others, I'd say, make that, make, make every day your best day. Like, what does it take? Um, and, you know, I don't know. It will, will, that's, that's, that's a long way of, of saying, you know, how, how I took all, I'll say what I learned growing up and, and put it into leadership and, you know, and was successful at it. So I love that. I really love that philosophy, that approach of being people focused first, the people that are part of the, the company, but then also the people that they're serving. And it actually made me think of the Risk Carlton model, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. And so it's so simple, and but but it's so powerful having that mindset because a lot of people get caught up in the, the profits, the numbers, and, and selling things of that nature. But if you, if you if you invest into the people and build them up, like you said, make them the best self, like the company's gonna take care of itself. Yeah, you know. So I have this other thing where a lot of people talk about issues, right? So there's a lot of talking that goes on. And so I grew up, it's like, put your head down, get to work. Um, and, and, you know, in, in Pittsburgh, and it's become an incredibly important issue nationally is, um, you know, that we, we in Pittsburgh, I look back where I grew up, we have less African-Americans living here uh, today than when I was younger, right? And, and what you see when we go, you start looking at the numbers, a lot of African-Americans, when they get to sort of middle class, they leave and they go other places, right? So I decided one of the things I wanted to do was I, I couldn't fix that issue myself, but I could play a part in creating more middle class jobs, right? Because that's, that's where I was brought up for African-Americans. So we had a, a call center that when we moved over to Peoples, we had to move back to Pittsburgh. I said to my- Yeah, that was, it was in Charlotte, right? Yeah. We yeah. wanted one third of those employees. So there was 500 jobs. We said, we want one third of them to be African-American. And at the time we were, it was outsourced. So if you were in Pittsburgh, you talk to somebody down in Carolina, right? And, you know, we don't even understand each other, right? Just our dialects, right? Um, and yeah. so then we bring people back and now it's people that live here. And that if you call, like, I know where that street is. I know where you live. I know what right. that issue is. You know, and, and by the way, we're, we, we might know people that we know each other. So anyway, we bring in this group and 10 years later, after we, we did that, we, we went from the worst call center to the best, right? Literally the best quality of service. And we're still to this day, a third of those folks are African-American. Many of those folks got promoted. So now I was more diverse at supervisor and manager level. And my retention in the call center is like out of, off the charts. Call center has a lot of turnover because it's a lot of stress. Um, we had the lowest turnover because people saw career opportunities. It wasn't just that job, right? <clears throat> and so I would say to people, like you wanna create a more diverse community, like stop talking about it and just do it. Um, yeah. I, I saw a picture of the, Pittsburgh police graduating class last year, right? In, in the middle of everything that's going on, there were like four out of 24 were African-Americans. And I called the mayor and said, like, stop talking about this issue and wanting to fix it. Like, start fixing it. Like, yeah. you know, that, that class should have been, you know, a lot more African-Americans. You want, you want to fix relationships, right? You, it's not... I understand what happened to you. It's like, I want, I want to be African-American so I don't have to try to understand how, what that's like, right? So I, I, I know that experience. And to me, that, that's how you, at least as a step, how we fix these things. But it's like too many people just talk about things as opposed to like, okay, I, I can talk all I want, but my actions, you know, that's, it's like with your kids, that's really how they measure you, right? It's, it's what do you do? Um, and, you know, for, for me, that issue is important, but it's not important. It's something you just talk about. It's like, okay, what have you done? And, and how have you made progress to move it forward? And, and for me, that was, that was important. And for our company, people took, so I, I, we, we talk about that. We say, you know, we're, we're 
1,700 employees in a, in a huge city of, you know, millions of people here um, regionally. And, you know, so it's a small move in the needle, but if everybody made that small move in the needle, yeah. we'd have a vibrant, you know, middle-class neighborhood here for African-Americans and, and good jobs that had career opportunities. And that's, that's how you fix issues that are broken. Um, so, and, and our company embraced it as, as like people said, I want to help you fix, I want to help fix that issue. And I'd say, let's figure out, let's figure out how, how do we partner with people to find good people, partnering with schools, partnering with, you know, organizations like you have, right? How, how, how do we do that to, to get the best, the best version of ourselves, right? That's one of the secrets in life. That's a great secret. Thank you for sharing that secret. And, and it makes me think of, don't talk about it, be about it. And yeah. Like you said, a lot of people, a lot of people talk about it, but action speaks louder than words. And, and you show your action and, and, and even your personal actions. So like the story you shared, like purposely living in a certain area, so it's diverse. And so you took that personal belief and stronghold and beliefs and took it to the, to the, um, the workforce. And thankfully, you know what I mean? You're you're in a leadership role where you have significant influence, and, and that that can significantly move the needle. And and as you know, with Orange Arrow, you know that's something we've been intentional about about building cross cultural relationships. Because yeah. if we want to see significant change, we really got to start bringing people together. So we start to see that we're actually more alike than we are different. But we can't yeah. continue to be segregated and hope yeah. for things to change. So thank you, and hats off to you for yeah. uh, for for all, all that you have done and that you continue to do. Uh, with the work in that space. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier, uh, we talked about golf. And so for me, and I also mentioned relationships, like some of my, especially here in South Florida, some of my, my network now has become made up because of me doing a golf course, being part of a golf group. And right. so talk about your love for golf. When did you get into the sport? Yeah. It, it, and then also now, 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 now that you no longer in that CEO role at people's, you have more time to enjoy the game. So go ahead. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, I, I, it was simple. Um, and it just goes back to my son. I talked about my favorite foursome, <clears throat> my oldest son, we, he, he, his friends in high school started playing golf. He was actually, he was in eighth grade and said, dad, I want to learn to play golf. I'd never played golf in my life. I grew up in the city. You know, the, the only, there, there were no golf courses. Um, and I, and I was like, yeah, sure, you know, okay. And so he starts playing in the summer and, you know, you know, and I was telling somebody I was wor at work, you know, my son's starting to play golf. And he said, Morgan, you're missing a huge opportunity. Um, you need to play with him. And, you know, it's four or five hours of quality time with, with your right. son. And you got two younger sons. Like, this is, this is like the best thing in the world. Forget the game, just the quality of time of having something in common with your kids, right? When they're yeah, little, they don't leave you. And then as they get older, they develop their interest. And so being a part of that, I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. And so I literally started playing um, so that I could spend time with my sons. And we started every Sunday, the four of us would go out Sunday mornings and play around the golf. And it got to the point where my, my wife would say, they talk to you, right? Because, you know, when you golf with somebody, you really get to know them, especially after that first hole. And, you know, you're about the seventh or eighth hole and, you right. know, you just start, all guards are down, you know, Definitely. any pretense, you know, it's, it's the real thing. Yeah. And, relationship building. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah. And she, and she would say to me, she'd give me, I, I was like the quarterback with the little wristband <laughs> And she'd right. say, you know, here's what you need to ask this son. Here's what you need to ask this son. <laughs> and so it was our way of connecting with them in their lives and hearing from them what was going on. And I, and I remember it. I'd be like, okay, the seventh hole, I'm going to start asking these, these questions. Get to the turn, I'll start asking these other ones. And they're really tough. We'll, we'll wait to the end. Um, but, it, you know, and it, it, it's funny. And I remember, um, you know, my, my father passed away. And I got to golf with my father, my sons, you know, all, all of us together. And it, and it was, you know, a few, few times and we get out on the course and it's four or five hours together. And you, and you're like, you know, um, 
there's no uh, no pretending uh, anything. You you, you know you, you roll the ball off the tee sometimes. You you hit it right, right. down the fairway every twelve times. Um, but it's 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 uh, I I think it's just you know to be with somebody a group of people right and really you know put your guards down and get to know people. Um, it's you know I, I think there's there's nothing better. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a wonderful game. I always say I love the game, but the game doesn't always love me. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't always love me. And, 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 and to your point, and then, uh, you know, sorry about the loss of your, your father. Yeah. Uh, to your point, though, the opportunity to build a relationship with oh. family members. So my, my granddad is the one that got me into, into yeah. the sport. And uh, he's 87. He can still right. shoot his age. And I, I may hit it 300 yards, but it may be going left. He right. hit 190 yards right down the middle. It's up and down, up and down, up and down. And and but it's something that that we, we have a strong bond. Um, yeah. Recently, unfortunately, uh, um, you know, my granddad was diagnosed with uh, with cancer, and so he's in Ohio. I'm in Florida, and yeah. even during the pandemic, I had to, you know, I made the choice of you know being traveling safe. Yeah. And then even when I got to um, Ohio, social distance, but I treated him and my uncle to around the golf, and so yeah. that was something we we're able to connect. Right, yeah. um, like I said, he just turned 87. And so that game, the opportunity to build relationships, it's not even just about like business relationships, but the relationship with yeah. family members, a loved one. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. So, uh, yeah. I, I look forward to the opportunity when, when, yeah. when we can play around the golf one day. Absolutely. Yeah. There you go. And so, as you know, the mission of orange arrow is to coach student athletes to aim for success off the field, off the track, out of the pool, wherever the playing arena may be. Why is it important for a student athlete to be successful outside of their sport? Yeah, and it's, I mean, you know, I look at it and I look at the mission of, of what you've created here. And, um, you know, and I, I think of how I tried to manage a business and, you know, it, it, it crosses so many of, of your principles. Um, you know, and I start with the, the simple, I'll call, it's the adage that I always said is, making people the best version of themselves. Right. And what does that mean? Um, and, you know, and, you know, and as we all know, as we get older, um, you know, there's the short window of time that people are the Michael Jordans and uh, LeBron James of the world. Um, but life is you know, hopefully much longer than that. And even, even during those days, it's, it, it includes so many other aspects and, you know, um, you know, I, I, I was, it's funny. So I've worked with lots of people, some really successful people, um, people that are just, you know, average people, um, some people who struggle. And, and I all, it was like the one question I always ask people is like, what's, what's the best day at work? You know, what was like, can you like looking back, you know, what was the best day you had at work? And, and Sean, like hundred percent of the time, part of the story is them helping someone else like in their job. You know, it, it could be mentoring a young person. It could actually be helping a customer. Um, it could be helping somebody who's struggling with an issue at work, you know, and, and it's funny. And I, I started sitting there saying, you know, as people, right, no matter how successful we are, whether, you know, we're sitting in the CEO of a big company or a security guard at the front desk or, any, any, anything in between there that, you know, what, what I think, you know, sort of creates a, us feeling good about ourselves and feeling good about who we are. It's not the title and the paycheck. It's having opportunities to help other people. Like it, it's, it's simple. Yeah. And, and, and whatever that, whatever is inside of us, right. Which is, which to me is like the, the beauty of, of, of the world is, um, you know, there's something in there that when people are helping other people, um, that it's, it's like magic. You, they feel good about themselves. It's, it's not the help they're giving. It's the feeling of helping that person. Right. And, and it's not about getting thanks and, and it's not about people giving you accolades. It's literally that feeling we have when we help somebody. And, um, you know, and, and a lot of us, for some reason, think like, you know, that opportunity doesn't exist in the most days that we spending on this earth, right? Only yes. certain circumstances will create that we can actually help somebody. And, and I, I would sit there and challenge people every single day and say every single day, there's that, that good feeling that you have, this is about you, not about the company, not about anyone else is take 
take whatever chance you can, you know, break a role, like come back late from lunch, whatever. If you have the chance to help somebody um, do it, because you'll feel so good about yourself. Right. And, and, and the reality is, right, whether it's a company or an organization, having employees and people who are helping other people. I mean, you look at the NFL, right? Like they, they have all these Walter Payton awards and they make a really big deal of the United way and how they give back. And, you know, and, and it, it makes you feel better. like when we look at them as fans and we feel better about them, but the reality is, and, and, and you know, this it's like those people, if you ask them, like, was it scoring the game winning touchdown or was it helping some kid who, you know, would never have an opportunity to do something, have that opportunity. And right. if, I would take the bet that that person says it was helping, helping that person, not necessarily the, the touchdown that I scored or the basket. Those are incredible memories, but how I feel good about myself, it's, you know, helping other people. And so I think what, obviously what you guys are doing is empowering people and encouraging people that, you know, you don't want to let time go by and you don't want to become somebody who's, who's only about their athletic career um, because, you know, for one, um, they're missing out on opportunities. And two, there's, there's good feelings in themselves. Like it's not just about the other person. Um, and, 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 you know, we're all selfish. So if you, without saying those words, it's, it's the reality. And if you can equate it into, you know, teaching us to be the best version of ourselves, whatever that means to any of us um, and, and, and empowering people that that's, that's okay in life to be that way every day. Yeah. It, it shouldn't take a tragedy or some national event that says, okay, I'm going to volunteer and help fix that issue. It should be, I get up in the morning and I see somebody crossing the street and they need help. I, I help them cross the street. Somebody's in a hurry. I stand back and let them go by. I mean, all the little things in life, right. You know, we don't, we don't think about it, but it makes who we are. Um, and, and I think in the end, it's, it's like when we look back, um, it's, individually we will value ourselves at all those opportunities either we missed or we took advantage of to help someone um, and I, I look at what you, you're doing and it's literally making those kids the best versions of themselves um, in a holistic way which is some people like me I didn't learn that till later in life um, but to learn that you know when you're you're thinking about the future and how to be successful um, that's that's so critical um, and to have those skill sets and think about it consciously, it prepares you for whatever path you go down and to be successful at it. My personal model is service is my lifestyle. Yeah. Service is definitely your, your lifestyle, Morgan. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for your continued support of the work of Orange Arrow, giving up your resources financially and time. I really appreciate you. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. I look forward to when we can play around 18. Absolutely. Hopefully in the near future. All right. I look forward thank to you, it too. Yeah, thank you. Take care.